You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we will listen to what the Word of God tells us in Revelation 13, verse 1 to 14, verse 5. We will read now first... Revelation chapter 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun, with a moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And now we continue the reading of the book of Revelation, and now we read the text for this afternoon, that is from Revelation 13, verse 1, through to 14, verse 5. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. 
The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose name have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. And then I looked, and there before me was a lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And he sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. 
they were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. We love the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The last verse of Revelation 13 is a very intriguing verse. Many Christians throughout the history of the church have tried to explain what the number 666 means. And they came up with many explanations. And this beast, as it is described in Revelation 13, the second beast is clearly the Antichrist. And some explanations see in this number or in a beast the name of historical persons. For instance, the Pope in the time of the Reformation. As the head of the Roman Catholic Church, the false church, he would be the Antichrist. Others believed it was Napoleon or Hitler or Stalin. And nowadays you can often hear that it is the Islam or even the United Nations. Many different explanations. It is important that we explain every text of Revelation in its context and that we should not study certain texts by taking them out of context and trying to explain them without paying attention to the rest of the Bible and also to the place of this text in the history. In the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, there we read very clearly that John had to write to the seven churches in Asia. Seven existing churches, they all had a name. And John had to write to all those seven churches. Seven churches for which this revelation was meant in the first place. They were the first readers. And this book of Revelation, the entire book, was meant to them as an encouragement. And therefore, it is impossible that this book only speaks about a faraway future. That it would only speak about a time, for instance, in which we live now, or in a time still to come. No. It contains prophecies which are not only for future generations, but also, and in the first place, for a church in that time. That is important for the explanation of the book of Revelation and also for these chapters, especially chapter 13 and 14. And that is therefore the way we will approach our text this afternoon. And I proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon under this theme. God reveals divine wisdom in the great battle between Christ and Antichrist. And through this wisdom, we know that, in the first place, the number of the beast is only man's number. And second, we know that only the name of the Lamb brings salvation. God reveals to us divine wisdom in the great battle on earth between Christ and Antichrist. And through this wisdom, we know in the first place that the number of the beast is only man's number. 
We must read the book of Revelation with in mind that it is written in a prophetic perspective. Prophetic perspective, that means that the prophets in the Bible, they prophesied the word of God for the people of God in, in their time. It contained promises and from time to time also warnings that were for them in, in that time, in their time. At the same time, these prophecies also contained a message for the future, especially about Christ and about the coming of his kingdom. And the Apostle Peter speaks about that in, in his first letter. The first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 10. He speaks about these prophecies, about the prophets, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So there, Peter tells us that in the Old Testament, the prophets didn't even understand all of what they prophesied, but they knew that it was about a future farther away. And and especially those prophecies in the Old Testament, they receive their fulfillment in the New Testament. However, also those prophecies in the Old Testament, they are not completely fulfilled yet. If you read those prophecies in the Old Testament, still there are some elements in it, in them, that still have to be fulfilled. And In the same line, we must see the prophecies in the book of Revelation. Those prophecies were for the church of Christ in that time, but at the same time, they are still waiting a more complete fulfillment in the future, especially when it comes about the return of Christ, about the new heaven and the new earth. But also, other parts of the prophecy speak about the future. And that is how we will look at the prophecies in these chapters, especially in chapter 13. We can also say, in other words, that we must explain those prophecies within the history of salvation. And chapter 12, as we heard this morning, tells us, in short, this history of salvation. We saw there that the dragon, that is Satan, suffered defeat for three times, First time was when he tried to devour the child. The child was snatched up to God. The second time was when he tried to enter heaven to get the child back from heaven. But he was defeated by Michael and his angels and hurled down from heaven. And then the third time is when he tried to kill the woman by the water which he spilled from his mouth. But the creation helped the woman and she was taken care of by God in the desert. And then finally the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring 
that are the Christians and are the saints, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then we read at the beginning of this chapter 13, and a dragon stood on the sand of, on the shore of the sea. The shore of the sea, that is between land and sea. And that in chapter 13 we read that both from the sea as well as from the land, a terrible beast will come. And then when we look at, when we look at the first beast that comes up from the sea, then John describes this beast as resembling not only a leopard, but also a bear and a lion. It was a terrible beast. And those who know the Bible will recognize in these beasts the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel 7. If you turn with me to Daniel 7, there we read that Daniel had a vision and there before him were the four, four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. And then we read in Daniel 7 verse 3, Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on his back, his back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four hands, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And later on in chapter 7, Daniel hears the explanation of this vision. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. Well, already in Daniel 2, Daniel had to explain the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And in that dream, there were four kingdoms as well. And now Daniel sees in this vision these beasts, and they represent those four kingdoms. And then Daniel wanted to know the meaning of especially the fourth beast, that is the fourth kingdom. And this fourth kingdom, in that we can see the Roman Empire. And when John sees the first beast in Revelation 13, then he sees a combination of all these four beasts. And that means, in fact, that in this beast that came up out of the sea, all the kingdoms of the earth, all worldly powers are represented. The four beasts from Daniel, they are all combined in the one beast here that comes up out of the sea. 
Well, and this beast, as we read about it in Revelation 13, it gives a perfect description of the Roman Empire in those days. The people in Asia and Judea in those days saw the Romans as the enemy which came from the sea. The sea that was in those days the fastest way to travel to Rome and, and, and from Rome to Asia and Judea and also to Egypt and, and the entire Middle East. Rome was seen as the land at the other side of the sea. And therefore, in the explanation of the meaning of this beast, we must see in the first place the Roman Empire. But not only the Roman Empire, because it combines all the four beasts of Daniel 7, we can say that it symbolizes all earthly power throughout the whole history. In those days, the Roman Empire, but also the empires before, and all the earthly power that will come thereafter. And all the Christians, therefore, can apply this prophecy in their own time. If we talk about our own time, then we can see this beast as as all the earthly powers, the governments, the armies, and, and everything else that raises itself against God. They all are means in the hands of Satan to make war against the saints. Oh yes, we know, and I must mention here, that the governments are ordained by God. We believe that, and that's what Paul says in Romans 13, and what we read in more places in the Bible. The governments are, are ordained by God so that they may serve Him and His church, so that the church may preach the gospel and confess God's name on this earth. But at the same time, we see that Satan is going to imitate God. And he is going to use what God has instituted, what God has ordained, for his own purposes. And that is exactly what this chapter 13 shows us. Satan imitates God. Also in these two beasts. In Revelation chapter 4, there we see God on his throne. And then the throne in heaven. And then chapter 5, immediately after, we read about the Lamb who receives from the hand of God the scroll. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them gave praise and honor and glory to Him who sits on the throne. I already mentioned it this morning. And now Satan, in chapter 13, Satan thinks that he can do the same. He calls the beast from the sea as a kind of anti-lamb, over against what we read in in Revelation 5 about the lamb. Now he calls the beast out of the sea, the antichrist, and he gives to him all his power and authority, and then we read that man worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Instead of God and the Lamb, Satan made them worship the dragon and his beast. And then we see the same when it comes to the second beast. The second beast has two horns like a lamb, clearly meant to imitate Christ. But in appearance like Christ, 
in appearance like a lamb, this beast did not speak like Christ, but like a dragon. And we also see that this second beast can do the same signs as the two witnesses of Christ in chapter 11. The two witnesses who witnessed, they could do miracles. They could call fire from heaven, and the fire could kill their enemies. Here we see that this second beast can do the same in verse 13. There we read, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of man. And we also see that, the four, that, that, that he then forces everyone to have his mark on their hand and on their forehead, and in that again he imitates God and Christ whose name is a sign on the forehead of the followers of the Lamb in chapter 14, verse 1 to 5. In the time of John and of the first readers of this book of Revelation, they could without doubt recognize the Roman Empire in this beast. In Revelation 17, there we read again about the beast with seven heads and ten horns. And there in chapter 17, verse 9, there we read about the seven heads, that they are the seven hills, the seven hills on which the woman sits. The woman that's Rome and the seven hills, that were the seven hills on which Rome was built. And each of the seven heads had a blasphemous name. We read in verse 1 of chapter 13. In those days, the emperors in Rome compared themselves to God. Caesar Augustus already started with this, but it was even more clear under the emperors Caligula and Nero. And that were the emperors in whose time probably the book of Revelation was written. They called themselves in Latin Dominus et Deus, what means Lord and God. That is how they presented themselves to the world, as Lord and God. And verse 3 mentions one of the heads of the beast, which seemed to have had a mortal wound. But the mortal wound had been healed. And also in this we see that Satan imitates Christ. Christ died, was buried, but he arose from the dead. Satan wants to do the same. His beast was mortally wounded but did not die. The wound was healed. And the whole world worshipped the beast because of this. Just as the believers worshipped Jesus Christ, because he rose from the dead. Here again, Satan tries to imitate Christ. Although he wasn't able to do it completely, the beast did not die. And Christ rose from the dead. And probably with this mortal wound was meant the death of the death of Emperor Nero. Well, there may be different explanations, I know, but this is a plausible one. The death of Emperor Nero in the year 68, Nero committed suicide after he got himself into a very, very difficult situation, into a big mess. And that caused a lot of troubles and unrest, and it seemed as if it was the end of the emperors in Rome and even of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire would end up in disarray and, and maybe even civil war. 
But then, after a few months, then Vespasian acted decisively, and he became emperor and saved the Roman Empire. Emperor Nero was seen as one of the most ferocious persecutors of the Christians, and, and we as Christians know him as such. But among the many peoples in the Roman Empire, a lot of heathen people, he was very popular, Nero. And soon after his death, a rumor emerged that Nero was not really dead, and that he would come back and become emperor again, or even that Nero was dead but would come to life again. And maybe the Christians in those days also knew this legend, and this verse is a reference to that legend to a kind of superstition among the heathen people. And for the Christians in those days, this head with a mortal wound might have been Nero. But as, as I explained before, Christians in later days can also see in this beast the powers which raise themselves against God. This is in fact the whole mankind as, it, as far as it does not accept God as God and as King and the Lamb as the Savior. This beast, it represents the boasting of man, man who puts his trust in himself and in his own strength, and man who denies God. It is the whole rebellion against God and against Jesus Christ. And then we see that the second beast, he comes up to support the first beast. The second beast out of the earth. Two beasts. One from sea, one from the earth. In fact, it symbolizes the entire world. The power of the dragon is not limited to only the sea. But he also has power over the land. In fact, over the whole world. Satan is called by our Lord Jesus Christ the prince of the world, or the ruler of the world. And the second beast that comes up out of the earth, that was in those days a symbol for the religion which worshipped the emperor of the Roman Empire as God. This emperor cult came up, especially in Asia. And some references to this cult are being made also in the seven letters, some of the seven letters to the seven churches. And this cult did not come over from Rome, from the city of Rome, over the sea. No, it came up from the land itself, from the earth. John lived in Asia before he was exiled, and he wrote this book for the seven churches in Asia. And for them, the beast did not come over the sea, but it came up out of the earth. That symbolizes that it did not come from the west, not from Rome, but from their own area. And that is indeed where the whole worship of the emperor started. Asia, that is where the emperor cult was the strongest. Because in Rome itself, the people were very reluctant to see their emperor as a god. For a long time, they refused to see their emperor as god. But in Asia, the peoples did not hesitate to erect temples for the emperor, and statues, statues with altars and, and, and to offer incense. It even became a test for the Christians. Many Christians were forced to sacrifice incense on the altar to Caesar, and if they refused, then they were often put to death. 
Well, the second beast is that entire group of priests, especially in Asia, who served in this religion of worshipping the emperor. And that is why it is said in verse 12, he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. And then it is said that this beast could do all kinds of miraculous signs and that by his power even the image of the first beast could speak. Well, we know from literature from that time that those priests were able by using all kinds of trickery and techniques to deceive the people so that it was as if the statue of the emperor could indeed speak and it could also do many other tricks to impress the people just as the magicians in Egypt could do for Pharaoh when Moses showed the signs to Pharaoh. Indeed, they do have some power. And these two beasts together, they formed a powerful combination. False religion. Together with man boasting in his own greatness in the power of man and in the power of the state. It was not just in those days but it is throughout the whole history that man puts his trust not in God, but in himself or his own human institutions. And therefore this prophecy is not only for those days, although it was in the first place for those days, but it is also for us a warning. The Christians in the time of the Reformation saw the Roman Catholic Church as the beast, and others saw and still see the Islam as the beast. And every time when the powers of governments and armies, as well as the deception of false religions, when they join together, then we can see the work of Satan. That are the two beasts called by Satan, beasts out of the sea and out of the land. And also in our time we can see that this combination of government and religion is very powerful and dangerous for Christians. We can see it when Christians will be persecuted. We see it happening in our time as well, in Islamic countries, where religion and state combine and work together to persecute Christians. We see it in countries like China, North Korea, where communism in itself is a false religion imposed on the people by the government. But we can also see it in our own Western countries, where liberalism is also becoming a religion in a certain way, sometimes also imposed on the people by the government. We see it in our own country, how that can happen from time to time. But then John also shows to us that it can be very dangerous, that these two beasts can be very powerful, but still it is only the power of creatures. They are only men. And that is what verse 18 says. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. And again, there are many theories about this number. And I'm not going to discuss them all now. But to understand what John is saying, we must know that both in Greek as well as in Hebrew, 
there are no separate characters for numbers, like we have for one, two, three, and so on. But they, both in Hebrew as well as in Greek, they used letters, A, B, C, for numbers. In our alphabet, the A would be one, the B would be two, and so on. And it was very popular in those days, both in Hebrew as well as in Greek, as well as in other languages, to translate the letters of names and to convert them into numbers. And then they took for every letter of the name the number it represented, and they added all those numbers up, and then they used the outcome of those numbers as a symbol for the name. Now, it's very easy to do this, of course. You take your own name, replace every letter by a number, and then at the end you add all those numbers. It's more difficult to do it the other way around. To go back from that one number to the name. And when John said that the number was 666, then most of the Christians would probably know what he meant. Because they recognized this number as the outcome of a certain name. That was done very often in those days, so they understood what John meant. But already soon thereafter, it was forgotten again. And even the church fathers from the 2nd and the 3rd century didn't know for sure what John meant with this number. The most reliable explanation, which is followed by most scholars nowadays, is that this number stands for the Hebrew version of the name Caesar Nero. If you add up the numbers for the Hebrew letters of these words, Caesar Nero, then indeed it is possible to come to the number 666. Other explanations like 666, three times six, as the number of man in contrast with 777, what would be the number of God, are less likely. It is not really supported with much proof from other Bible texts. Therefore, I believe, and I must say there are other explanations possible, but I believe that when John said that the number of the beast was 666, then he had a specific person in mind, and that it was very clear for him from the vision that it was this person, probably Caesar Nero. Anyway, whoever it was, John makes it clear that it is only a man. Satan may try to imitate God and Christ, and he may do as if he has divine powers. But at the end, he does not really have divine powers, and he is only a creature. And those two beasts, they are only human beings, called by Satan to do his work. Both the power of the state and the false religion are only created by man and not by God. And therefore, although they may be very dangerous, we as Christians, we should not fear them. Because we know that it is God who allows them to do what they do. And that they cannot do more than God allows them to do. They will persecute the Christians. They will try to deceive the whole world. Yes, but only so far as God lets them go. And we as Christians who don't have the mark of the beast on our hand or our forehead, we have the mark of the one who is omnipotent, 
who is almighty, who really has all power in heaven and on earth. He is not an imitator like Satan and the two beasts, but he is real God, the only God. And the Lamb, he is really the Savior, the only Savior. And if we follow him, then we will certainly win the battle and we'll be able to endure his rage. And then we see in the second place that only the name of the Lamb brings salvation. Revelation 14, verse 1 through to 5, it follows directly after both beasts. And it is meant there as a clear contrast. Right away after the two beasts, there we read about the Lamb. There we read about the Lamb and 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. These are the same as the 144,000 mentioned in chapter 7 who received the seal on their foreheads. And both in chapter 7 and in chapter 14, they are all those who are elected to belong to the people of God from the beginning of the world until its end. John sees them standing on Mount Zion. All the inhabitants of the earth, of the world, they follow the first beast and worship this beast, except those who refuse to receive the mark of this beast on his right hand and on their forehead. And to refuse this mark, that was quite something. The result of it was that you were excluded from much that was going on in the world. No one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Well, we know that it can be difficult for Christians to remain faithful in such a world. It is not always direct persecution by the government by which the second beast tries to force Christians to bow down before the first beast. It can also be by making it difficult or impossible for Christians to participate in much of the world, so that more and more Christians will be isolated. You can see it in this world, you can see it happening, that there are so many things about which we as Christians should say, no, we should not be there, we should not participate in it. Satan is trying to isolate us from so much that is happening in the world. But as Christians, we should know that this all can happen. Indeed, in verse 4 of chapter 14, it is said about them, the 144,000, that they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Lord Jesus himself said to his disciples that they should take their cross and follow him or else they would not be worthy of him. Being a Christian, that means taking up and bearing your cross as a Christian. That means suffering, being rejected by the world, isolated, not being able to participate in much of this world. For instance, if you as a Christian refuse to be a member of of one of the labor unions, because they are unchristian and sometimes even anti-Christian institutions, well, then you are not eligible for many jobs. Or if you as Christian refuse to open your business on Sundays, then you can lose many customers. 
if you as Christians refuse to compromise on many things in your business and you remain honest, it can cost you money. And there is so much more that I can mention in which we as Christians are different from this world. Although it is not always to our advantage, humanly spoken, to be different. We don't participate in anything that bears the mark of the beast. Anything that is not in accordance with the will of God. And that can cause suffering on this earth. But that is what Christ means with taking up our cross and following Christ. And then, if we do so, then we know that we may stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion on His great day and that we may be counted among the elect who will be able to sing the song that no one could learn except the 144,000. In 14 verse 4, it is said about the 144,000, that these are those who did not defile themselves with women, with women, for they kept themselves pure. And also in that Christians are different from this world. With this is not meant that Christians may not marry and may not have a sexual relationship with with their wives. No. What is meant here is that especially the sex is something that Satan uses to deceive the peoples of this earth. And very often you can see that if a society turns its back to God and it forgets his word, then that will result in a rapid increase in sexual immorality. It is still common sense that theft and murder is not good for this society, and we should not allow that to happen. We should be tough on crime. But if it comes to sex, then that is something that is completely different. And that is not something only from our time. You see it throughout the whole history. When Israel entered Canaan, they had to kill all the people living in Canaan and destroy their entire society because of their sinfulness and their sexual immorality. And we see time and again that the idolatry and worshipping of other gods is often accompanied by ritual sex, temple sex, as a ritual to get the blessings of the gods. It is quite well known that also in the time of John, in the time of the Roman Empire in the first century, there was a lot of sexual immorality in the Roman Empire. And the Apostle Paul warns against it at several places. If you go through the letters of Paul, Romans 13, verse 13, there he says, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. And then thereafter, in in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, and also in Galatians 5, Ephesians 4 and 5, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, and many more texts. Almost all his letters, in almost all his letters, Paul speaks about it. Because sexual immorality is one of the first things that will increase when people turn away from God. Because of that, it is mentioned here as one of the main things in which a Christian distinguishes himself from unbelievers. We don't find our pleasure in any sexual immorality, not even in our words or in our thoughts. But we find our delight in praising and glorifying God in our words 
and in our deeds. Brothers and sisters, remember, it is a lamb, the son of God, whom we follow. It is his name that we have on our foreheads. We just heard that the number and the name of the beast are only a man's number and name. But the lamb is a lion of Judah, the root of David, who has triumphed. He is the one who opens the seven seals of the scroll, and with that, the seals of God's judgment. Be glad and rejoice that you may belong to the Lamb and the 144,000 elect. We have a beautiful future. Mount Zion. It is again the fulfillment of several of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Prophecies about redemption, salvation. Prophecies in Isaiah 59, Obadiah 17 and 21, Joel 2, 32, and many more texts. There, the 144,000 will sing a new song on Mount Zion, a special song, a song that no one can learn except those who belong to the 144,000. Brothers and sisters, the word of God, the gospel of salvation is very special. It is something that many on this earth cannot understand and they cannot believe it. Even if you ask unbelievers to describe what Christians believe, they will come up with something that does not resemble what the Bible says. They don't understand it. Because it goes against human nature. The gospel speaks about salvation, not by our own strength, not by power, not by human wisdom. Now, all that is worshipped by the unbelievers in this world. All that is personified in the first beast. Nothing of that all can save us. Now, it is exactly the opposite of that. By not boasting in our own strength, by not trusting in our own skills, by not putting our trust in our own wisdom or in human achievements, but exactly the opposite, giving it all up and considering it all rubbish, and flee to Jesus Christ and expect it all from Him, confessing to Him your sinfulness and your misery, depending on Him completely. That brings salvation. That is what the Gospel speaks about. And that is what the 144,000 will sing about in their song. That is what they will praise God for. That is what no one can understand who does not believe and does not belong to the Lamb, it is foolishness to them. Yes, but it is divine wisdom for those who have the name of God and of the Lamb written on their forehead. And it is only by believing this divine wisdom that we can be redeemed from this earth, this earth that is doomed and will be destroyed by fire. And that is indeed also the way of life of the Christians in this world, now and forever, as long as they live on this earth. In verse 9 of chapter 13, we read, He who has an ear, let him hear. And verse 10, If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. Well, it may seem a passive attitude for Christians. 
to let themselves be led as sheep to the slaughter. But that is how it must happen. That is how we will follow Christ. A Christian does not take up the sword and does not use the means of this world to defend himself. Now, there is even no need for a Christian to defend himself because it is God who protects his elect. If God decides that we have to go into captivity, then we will go into captivity. If God decides that we have to be persecuted, then we will be persecuted. If it is God's will that we will give our lives for him, then that is what will happen. Yes, but it also means that if it is that if it is not God's will, then it will not happen. And therefore, brothers and sisters, it is not true that by not defending ourselves as Christians, we give ample room to Satan to destroy the church. No, not at all. It is in our weakness and not putting our trust in human power. It is in our weakness that God will show his power. It is especially in situations of persecution that the church will flourish and grow and increase both in faith and in number, as history has shown. Not by the sword, not by human power. It is the patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints that defeats Satan and his beasts. That is the divine wisdom that Satan and that the unbelieving world does not understand. That is a strategy that only those who believe know. It is the divine wisdom. And it's through this wisdom that we may know that Satan is already defeated. Satan doesn't know because he doesn't understand it. But we know. We don't have to conquer him because Christ already did. What we have to do is to remain faithful to God and to have patient endurance. We received the divine wisdom so that we discern in this world and can see what comes from God and what is just an imitation that comes from Satan and his beasts. Satan is and remains only an imitator. He tries to imitate God, but can only do it to a certain extent. And that is how we will recognize him. It is not always easy. If you don't have much knowledge of the Bible, it is not always easy to discern between what comes from Satan and what is from God. That is because Satan tries to deceive us. But if you do know the Bible, then you will be able to recognize Satan. Satan wants the whole world to worship him and his beast. But here again we see that he will fall short, and he is not able to imitate God and Christ. In verse 8, we read that all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Well, it looks impressive. A big part of mankind, they worship the beasts. They worship their own powers. They worship the state or human institutions. Yes, it looks impressive, but it is by far not the worship which the Lamb receives. The text I quoted this morning, and I refer to this afternoon again in chapter 5, verse 13, 
there we read that not all the inhabitants of the world know that all creatures, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them sing the praise and honor and glory and power of the Lamb. Satan may have many followers among mankind, but we know that the whole creation sings the praises of God and not of Satan. And then it may seem as if this world is with devils filled, but we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And then we may sing together with Luther that word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them abideth. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.